We're about to get into a major parenthetical period in the book where he's going to introduce all the characters that have a part. Now, if you remember, this describes the events that will happen in the tribulation period. Seven-year period divided up by three and a half and three and a half. And you've got three sets of judgments that go throughout the seven-year period. You have got the seal judgments, which were the seven wax seals that were attached to the scroll that was in God's hand, which is the title deed to the kingdom of the earth. You've got seven trumpet judgments that are angels that have trumpets, and when they're blown, judgments come down on the earth. And then you have the seven final judgments, which are angels that have bowls or lavers. We'll get to that. And when they pour them out on the earth, the final judgments. And the wrath of God is complete. And you've got the millennial period. Now, in between the sixth and the seventh seal, there was a parenthesis. 144,000 Jewish people sealed. And we've got the rapture of the church. Multitudes from every language, tongue, and people standing before the throne. In between the sixth and the seventh trumpet we looked at last week, you've got an angel that stands upon the sea and the earth, which shows full sovereignty over the planet. He's got another scroll called the seven thunders, which we believe is the voice of God. That's bringing down judgment upon the earth, like Psalm 29. John's told to eat the little scroll. It's sweet in his mouth and sour in his stomach, meaning judgments are sweet to a believer because we know the end is near and Christ will establish his kingdom and there'll be no suffering on the planet, no pain, no death. It'll be a utopia, nirvana. It will be heaven on earth. The deserts will bubble forth with new life and you will have a new body enjoying God's creation with all five of your senses without sin, without evil. And then we saw two witnesses that come on the scene, either the first three and a half years or the latter. Don't know which. Doesn't really matter. The purpose of these witnesses are to call men to repentance. They are spokespeople for God, like the Old Testament prophets. They perform miracle signs and wonders to let the people know that God is speaking. How do we know? Look at these miraculous signs, supernatural events that don't usually happen in this naturalistic system that's closed. Okay, I can buy that. And it says anybody who comes up against them, fire comes out of their mouth and destroys them. And I think it's that they call down fire from heaven like Elijah did. And also like uh, John and James wanted to, the sons of thunder, when they left Bethsaida and they would not accept their message. They scoffed them. It says, this is how anyone who comes against them will die. And then it says, you've got this world political leader, the beast that comes from the abyss, in verse 7 of chapter 11, that comes against them, and he can kill them. Now, that's real significant because what you're going to see, and we're really going to get into it, maybe not this week, but next week, we're going to look at this antichrist. We're going to look at this political world leader. What he's going to do, where he's going to come from, his characteristics, his attributes, if I can use that term. And what kind of programs that he is going to bring about on this planet. It's all prophesied, and what's interesting is the technology of the day and the movements of the day are all coming into play on these prophecies. It's unbelievable. Well, you know, it's the, the Bible, but if you look at it, you're going, it's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be a Christian. Because these prophecies are coming together as we speak, or at least we're seeing huge movements towards them. 
And so this beast that comes out of the abyss, which is the political leader, will come against them and destroy them. And the whole world will go, nobody else could kill him. This guy did. He is the greatest of everyone. We're going to exalt him as our leader. Now, he is going to have a slick tongue, and he's going to cause people to believe that he is from God. You will have a world religious leader that, who, that has united the religions of the earth and will follow this guy, and he will say, this guy is from God. You follow him. Because he has come against the two witnesses <coughs> excuse me, that have dried up the skies of rain, has fire called fire down from heaven, and have wreaked great havoc on the planet. So here's this world leader that's going to be bringing about peace or trying to bring about peace and unification of all world governments and religious systems. And here are these two guys saying, no, they're from hell. They're from the devil. Who do you think people are going to believe? Here's these two guys, two lone voices that are shutting up the skies of rain, causing people to be in famine and in hunger. And here's this world leader who's bringing about world peace and putting an end to hunger. See what I'm saying? They're going to say, well, that's a no-brainer. These guys are from the devil. And then this guy's going to kill them. But how will the world know if these two people are from God or not? They lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem. They refuse and burial because they wreak such havoc. And it says CNN is on the, on the scene. Here are the two witnesses that caused so much havoc on the planet. It's amazing these people won't even bury them. Instead, they're partying. They're sending gifts to one another, they say, or the Bible says, and they gloat over these two people. Says, but on the third day, the flies stopped buzzing around these dead bodies, and a voice from heaven says, Stand up, or breath from God enters them, and they stand on their feet. And then the voice says, Come up here. And these two witnesses go bodily up into heaven. Now, you tell me that's not going to make some great CNN reporting. I love it. Living on the scene, and all of a sudden, boom, these people come on their feet, and they get sucked up to heaven. And then it says, at that time, there's a great earthquake in the city of Jerusalem. 7,000 people were killed, and it gives us a specific number, which goes to show you this is really going to happen. Accuracy. And then it says, the rest of them gave glory to God. And in verse 14 of chapter 11, it says, the second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. Now, if you remember the woes that were pronounced, if you go back to chapter 8, <clears throat> during the trumpet judgments, right before those demons are led out of the abyss. In verse 13 of 8, it says, I watched and I heard an eagle that was flying in midair. That's a, a sign of deity, basically, or regality, if you will. Call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other angels. Then you see the fifth angel sound his trumpet. When you look at what happens, you go, Whoa. Remember, they come out, they've got scorpion tails that can sting people for five months, cause them great pain, but they won't die. Verse 12, it says, the first woe has passed, two other woes are yet to come. And so we see the second woe mentioned in verse 14 of chapter 11. So we're waiting for the third woe. When the third woe comes, that's it. The seven-year tribulation period will be over. Men will no longer have the chance to repent. Jesus Christ will come and he will stomp the wicked hip to thigh as you would stomp grapes in a wine press. And it says their blood will flow through the Megiddo Valley as high as the horse's bridle. 180 stadia, about 150 miles. 
Verse 15, here's the seventh trumpet. Okay, are we good so far? So far, so good. One, two, three, four, five, six seals, parentheses, 144,000 Jews sealed, and the rapture. Because I think he went back and said, whoops, I forgot to tell you these two events before the first seals opened. The Jewish people come to faith, and the church is taken out, my opinion. And then he goes, all right, let's pick it back up. He opens the seventh seal. Seven angels come out, and they blow their trumpets. In between the sixth and the seventh, he goes, oh, I need to tell you a couple of other things that happened. A couple of witnesses are going to be on the scene, bringing down miracles. People are going to kill him, and you're going to see this angel, which shows that God is sovereign, and he's the one causing all these judgments. He's bringing them down so that his mercy will be seen, that he doesn't kill a lot of these people, that he gives them a chance to come to faith. He's going to purge the earth of wicked men so the coming king can take his place on the throne in Jerusalem. And now he picks up with the seventh trumpet. Now watch this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There was a loud voice in heaven, or loud voices, which said, and these are angels, and the angelic host, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and forever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Now, I think what you've got here is you're towards the end of the tribulation period. I think the first four seals happen in the first three and a half years. I think the fifth and the sixth seal or right in the middle, and then the trumpet judgments come, and I think the bowl judgments come right on the end. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Fast, rapidly. We don't know the chronological time sequence that well. I don't think that this is uh, the trumpet sound of the rapture, like we see in First Thess 4. I think what he's saying is the kingdom of Basilia in the Greek of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, meaning it's coming down. You're going to see the kingdom of the Lord take its place on the planet. And the angels pronounce that God is just and he's right for doing this. That his long suffering, that is him not doing it tomorrow, means salvation to the lost. Are you not glad he didn't come 20 years ago, some of you? I am. I'm glad he didn't come 12 years ago. Because I would not be in. And so, you know, we say, come Lord Jesus, come, please. Especially when we watch the news and we hear of great tragedy. But we do know this, the longer God tarries, the more people come to faith. And Paul says when that last one comes to faith, that last Gentile, the veil will be lifted up in Jerusalem of Israel, and you'll see these events. Now watch, verse 19. says, And God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. Now that's interesting. Here's John seeing the vision, and he's looking in heaven, and he sees the heavens open up, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant. You're going, away, oh, wait a minute, I thought that that was on the earth. I'll test your Bible knowledge. When Moses was commissioned to build the tabernacle, the book of Exodus is one of the greatest books in the Old Testament because you've got three major events that happened to Israel that are recorded in that book. You've got the liberation from bondage, 400 years of bondage with Moses. You've got a new government. You've got liberty law where God gives them 613 laws, a new revelation. It comes down with angels and a voice from the heavens and a smoking 
lightning cloud on top of Mount Sinai. Great event in Israel's history. And you have the love of God, which is, which is shown in the tabernacle. You've got the tabernacle worship, where God meets with his people on the earth. Incredible. So Exodus is a great book. When Moses was commanded to build the tabernacle. Now, it's the tabernacle when they wandered in the desert. It's the temple when they're firmly planted in the land because the tabernacle is a tent and it was mobile. And it was to show that God dwelt with his people, cared for them, led them, protected them. The temple was established in Jerusalem and it was permanent. Now, when Moses was commanded to build the tabernacle, what were the specifications? Do you remember anybody? He was commanded to make them within the exact same measurements of the tabernacle that's in heaven because it's an identical replication of it. Is that the right word? Close enough. Okay. You go, now why would there be a tabernacle in heaven? What do you think? Because again, it showed man's way to approach a holy God. The only way he can do it is number one, you've got shed blood of an animal. There's where you have the altar. Okay, it's got horns on each corner of it. They tied down the animal. It's the power of God, but it's judgment. It's bronze. That's where God meets with his people, and the penalty of sin must be met, which is death, temporarily with an animal. Later, we'll see Christ on the cross. The next thing he comes to is a laver, and it's made from the mirrors. It's interesting because it rests on this base that has oxen, three on each of the four sides which is a servant animal. And it shows that God's cleanliness to all people goes out to the four corners of the earth and God serves them. Okay? So he shed blood. He goes in this laver. It's interesting. He made it out of bronze mirrors so he could see. He could see the reflection of himself so he doesn't forget who he is. A sinner by the mercies of God saved by the shed blood of an animal. Or at least God's wrath propitiated. And you go into the holy room and you've got table of showbread. He now has intimate fellowship with God. You've got the altar of incense and the menorah, which shows he's to be light of the world and God is light. And he goes behind the curtain and then you've got the mercy seat of God. You've got the Ark of the Covenant. And so you've got one of these in heaven and you've got one on the earth. And the reason being is man can only get to God in a certain order by a certain way in which God himself designates not man. And you see religion, man trying to designate how he can get to God. He tries to tell God how he's going to do it. And God says, no, here's the way, and it's got to be to the exact specifications that I put down. Anything else won't work. Square peg in a round hole. That's the hardest thing to get to people. Because most people believe God is sitting on top of the mountain and there's multiple paths to it. You can't have it. It's the law of contradictions. And if you've got one way and someone else goes against it, Two things. One, one's right and one's wrong. Or two, they're both wrong. That's the only options you have with the law of contradictions. If Jesus Christ says there's no other way to heaven except through him, he's the gate, and you've got the Koran, and you've got the Book of Mormon, and these other writings, the Vetas and so forth, the Hindus follow, the Numa Elish, the Babylonians follow, if they give any other way but what the Bible says, one's right, one's wrong, or they're both wrong. Well, the Bible has many prophecies that have come true, so I'm going to hold this book as right. It's never been disproven archaeologically, cosmologically, Scientology, or scientifically. Don't want to use that word. <laughs> Watch me now. Scientifically, I mean, historically, you go down the list. 
set in concrete. And so one of them's got to be right, and I'll hold to this one. Okay? So you've got this Ark of the Covenant that he sees, and it's to show that the way to God is still through the shed blood of an animal, or actually a man, Old Testament animal, and the mercy seat of God is still in place. That if you approach God and you want to be in his presence, you simply say, Christ died for my sin. That's the only reason that I'm here, that you should let me in. That's the significance of that. And then it says, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Okay, judgment's coming. Where did the judgments come from? From the temple of God. He's bringing them down. From the judge himself, the king himself. Now, this is what he's going to do. You would expect chapter 12 to be the final seven judgments that are poured out on the earth, which are the bull judgments, but you don't see that. What he's going to do now, chapters 12 all the way through 15, is he's going to take a giant parenthesis. What he does here is he goes, time out, let me stop. Let me go ahead and give you all the characters that we see in this tribulation period, yea, even all the way before man was created, and the role that they have. You remember me telling you that story about me going to the Bolshoi Ballet when I was in Russia? I'm sitting there, and the first act comes on, and I'm sitting with my interpreter and so forth, and she's never been to the Bolshoi, so we took a bunch of them there. And it goes on, and people are, you know, this guy comes out from this side of the stage, and he's, you know, he's flitting along with his little tights and stuff flying all over. And this, about five or six ladies come out from over here and do some stuff and go back in. I'm not, I don't know what the heck is going on. She's over here crying, all right? She's boohooing. And the, the curtain goes down, and there's an intermission, and I'm going, man, I, I'm clueless. And so what she did is she, she told me the characters and what role they were playing. And the second scene came, and the uh, curtain went up, and I understood what was going on. That's the book of Revelation. You see these characters, and you're going, wait a minute. I don't know what the heck is going on. Give me some background. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to give you seven characters and the roles that they play. He's going to talk about a dragon. He's going to talk about a woman. He's going to talk about a beast that comes out of the sea, a beast that comes out of the earth. He's going to mention the 144,000 again. He's going to mention the angels. And then he's going to mention the lamb. Okay? So this is a great book. And a lot of people won't touch it because they don't understand it. But he really takes great pains for you to understand it if you're a Jew. That's why you've got to go to the Old Testament and find out some of the symbolic language. But as far as the way it's laid out. He stops here and he goes, wait a minute. We're going to look at the devil. We're going to look at Israel. We're going to look at this political antichrist, a religious antichrist. We're going to look again at the 144,000 and the role they've played in this whole thing. We're going to look at the angels, agents of God's wrath and blessing. And we're going to look at the Lamb of God and the role that he plays. Okay? So let's take a look at these first two characters. We'll just peel them apart. And again, what I'll do, we won't have time today, but next week, <clears throat> I'm going to take the whole time and we're going to go over the Antichrist, the political leader. I'm going to, we're going to go through your Bible, your Old Testament, that gives us prophecies of him, where he's going to come from, what he's going to be like, his character, what he's going to do. You know, the mark of the beast, 666. Okay, all that stuff you're going to see. When's Halloween? 
Oh, it's this week. Okay, so we'll pass that. All right. Verse 1, chapter 12. John says, A great and wondrous sign. That word sign in the Greek is simeon, which is a person or event that looks beyond itself to some greater significance. Okay? It's a person or event that looks beyond itself to some greater significance. So he's going to see a sign but you're going to have to look beyond it or dig to find out the significance of this sign. Okay? A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, who is this woman? Let's look at some other things about her. It says that she was in pain, about to give birth. Verse 5, it says, She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And then it says, The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Look over in verse 13. Well, let's just stay with that. Who is the woman? How can we find out? Now, I believe it's Israel. You're going, okay, great, Bernard. We'll take your word for it. Let's go on. No, don't take my word for it. How do we know? How do we get that interpretation that it is Israel? Scripture will interpret Scripture. Okay? Scriptura ex scriptura, explicano, as Augustine said. That's Latin for Scripture will interpret Scripture. Well, keep your finger here, and let's go back to Genesis 37.5. I'll show you. So you can wow your friends. 37.5. Now, Joseph, who is a son of Jacob, and we'll eventually get to him, maybe in 2001, as we're working through Genesis, but we'll get there. Joseph has a dream, and he tells his brothers... And when he did, they hated him all the more. Verse 6, he tells him his dream. He says, we're binding sheaves. He says, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he, told his fathers, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but, they kept, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now go back to Revelation. Look what we see. We've got a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, under her feet, as we just saw, and a crown of 12 stars on her head, which means a crown rulership, that Joseph will eventually rule his brothers. We see that in the story of Joseph, who goes to Egypt, second to Pharaoh, and what happens? Everything's underneath him. So, we can take that as the woman being Israel. Another hint is, it says she was pregnant, cried out in pain, she was about to give birth. Whom was Israel, do you think, about to give birth to? 
Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26, it says that Israel writhed in pain as she was about to give birth, but instead she gave birth to wind, meaning she wasn't obedient and God didn't bless her. But we see that the seed that will crush the serpent's head, Genesis 3.15, is going to come through the nation Israel. We saw that with the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we saw today. So you see how important that was when we laid that foundation of the seed of the woman? That man sins, separates himself from God, but God makes a promise. The seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head. You will have the Messiah to Israel and the Redeemer of all the nations come through the Jews. That's the symbolism here. You've got a woman. We go back to Genesis. We can see it's Israel. Okay, Jacob, his 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. Here she's about to give birth, the male child, which is the Messiah. Okay? There's more proof of it because it says uh, she gave birth to the son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Who is that? Genesis 49 talks about he who comes from Judah, Shiloh, from him to whom it belongs. The scepter will not depart from his hands. He will rule the nations with an iron rod. It is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 says the government will rest upon his shoulders. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, what do you think that is? When did Jesus get snatched up to heaven and the disciples were all going, and the angel said, put your tongues back in your mouth. This Jesus you saw go up coming down in the same way. Remember, Mount of Olives. So what you've got here is Israel mentioned, the birth of Christ, all the way up to the ascension of Christ and the enthronement of Christ. Boom. All in just a few verses. So what he's doing is he's giving you a historical span of this character of Israel and the part that she plays. The nation Israel. God referred to her as his wife, Isaiah 54, 5, and Jeremiah 31, 32, and so forth, okay? You've had all different kinds of interpretations of who the, women, the woman is. You know, Spanish artist Morello uh, painted the, uh, the painting, The uh, Mystery of the Immaculate Conception, that uh, the woman's referring to Mary. Not in a sense, but it's not. It's the nation Israel. Some say it's the church. Uh, Mary Baker Glover Patterson, Eddie, claimed that uh, she herself was the woman, or basically God. The male child, uh, or the man-child, is Christian science. We're going to see here the dragon is the mortal mind attempting to destroy her new religion. Okay? Ironside commenting on her said, I don't need to take time from, you know, to ponder about insane people. But anyway... No, it's Israel. How do we know? Scripture interprets Scripture. Okay, now let's take a, look, take a look at the second character. Also, there was another sign, same word, that appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Now, remember, and I don't know, we didn't go into it too much, but we will next week, about the significance of the seven heads and ten horns. This goes back to Daniel and links us with that beast. Okay? This dragon is none other than Satan. How do we know? Because it tells us. Watch. Uh, verse 9, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. <clears throat> it says that, verse 4, His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That is the angels. Okay? There was a rebellion in heaven, Ezekiel 28, 
And Isaiah 14 talks about Lucifer, wickedness found in him. And he lost his position as the first angel. Here we get a little more detail of it, in which we see he brings a third of his angels with him. And that's where his demons come from that we see in the New Testament. Ephesians 6 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, principalities, authorities, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Okay? So it says, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Now, what event do you think that is? Who tried to kill Jesus when he was born? Herod, remember? The wise men came and said, You tell me where he is when you find him so I can go worship him. But he wanted to kill him. And so then he made an edict, you kill all the male children two years and under. So we can see just from that verse that Satan was working through Herod. Okay, I think Satan was working through Stalin and Hitler to kill the woman, Israel. See, great significance in these verses. And I like this. She gave birth to a son, a male child, meaning it failed who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter and was snatched up. That word is harpazo. Same word, 1 Thessalonians 4, about caught up, snatched up, rapture. Like the harpies that come down, snatch people. Okay. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her, verse 6, by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now let's take a look a little bit more at this dragon. Watch what he says. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Michael took over his position as archangel, first angel. There's a war. We see that in Daniel chapter 10. We see that also in Jude 9, where it says that Moses' body was fought over by Michael the archangel and Lucifer. So you've got spiritual battles in the heavenlies. You've got a war here against the dragon and Michael. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Now, right now, Satan has the ability to accuse you to God day and night, it says. We'll see this in a minute. We saw in Job that he's in the presence of God, and God says, take a look at Job, my faithful servant. And he has a conversation with Satan. We see it in 2 Kings, I think, 22, or 1 Kings 22. Can't remember. When God brings his heavenly host, he says, who will go put a lying or deceiving spirit in the mouths of the prophets with a so he loses that place. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent, which means crafty, called the devil, Diabolos, which means accuser, or Satan, adversary, meaning your enemy, who leads the whole world astray. Okay? So he's a dragon, which is fierce. Let me see if I've got definitions. Dragon, fierce, scary, fiery, if you will. Serpent, which means crafty, devil, Diabolos accuser or slanderer, Satan, our adversary. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Okay? Then I heard a voice in heaven saying, it's, it's kind of like, uh, uh, what was that movie? Babe. Remember that movie Babe, the pig? And he had those little mice that kind of sang commentaries. Well, you've got the angels that kind of sing commentaries throughout the book of Revelation. Bad analogy, but you know what I mean. He says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation, power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers 
who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. You see that? He accuses you, meaning, look at him. He's not a Christian. Look at, look at her. Look at the sin that she's doing. Look at the sin he's doing. And God just simply says, oh, I don't see anything but the blood of my son. So accuse away. It says, they overcame him. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to, as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell uh, dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Okay? A lot of people believe this happens mid-trib and now he's got three and a half years and he's going to go after the creation with a vengeance. Because now he no longer can accuse the brethren. He no longer has a place before God. Now he's going to come down. Now watch this. Verse 13, it picks, it picks back up. Verse 6. Okay, so verse 6 is going to continue in verse 13. Verse 6 says, The woman fled the desert, or fled into the desert, to a place prepared for her by God, when she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination and desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let those in Jerusalem... Be aware and let them flee into the desert. Don't go back to your house. If you're in the field, don't go back into the city. Most people believe that this hurling down of Satan, the war, is mid-trip. He loses his place. Now what he's going to do, we'll see it next week, he is going to literally possess the Antichrist, this political leader, and the Bible says he will give him his power, his kingdom, and his throne. So where he will go into the temple, proclaim himself to be God, and people will follow him. He will persecute all those who will not follow him. 144,000 Jewish people are sealed with God's seal, and they make it through. It says that they flee, that is Israel, to a place in the desert where she'll be protected for the last three and a half year period. Now verse 13 describes the event. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. That's Israel. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert, which means swiftness. It's the idea of God lovingly carrying along Israel like an eagle who kicks the chicks out of the nest, lets them fall, will swoop down. Actually, she circles while the chick is falling, trying to fly, and she'll swoop it back up and bring it back up and let it drop again. And she'll do this three or four times with a chick, put it back in the nest, and kick out another one. It's funny, if you look at an eagle's nest, I've been studying this. If you look at an eagle's nest, the mama makes it full of, she'll get fur and feathers and make it real comfortable. When she's about to kick the chicks out of the nest, she'll pull all the feathers out and everything and just keep it this hard straw and just kick them out and circle around them and fly them back up and circle around so they learn how to fly. That's the idea, that God lovingly is carrying Israel out. Same thing as Exodus 19, where he carries them out of Egypt on eagle's wings so that he might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for time, times, plural, that's two and a half a time, that's three and a half years, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring 
those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So here's the scene. Satan loses his place in heaven, mid-tribulation. I think Satan at that time indwells the political Antichrist, now goes to persecute the 144,000 or the Jewish nation at that time. God takes her to a place to protect her. He pursues and tries militarily, or however, that's why I think the symbol of the river spewing out, to conquer, but God protects. A lot of people think that God's going to bring them to a place called Edom, Petra. I've been there. It's really neat. Okay? Don't know for certain. Satan can't do it. He fails. And so what he does is he goes back and tries to kill the rest of the offspring, believers, those who come to faith during the tribulation period, those who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ and obey God's commandments. And then verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And then we're going to see out of that sea comes the political leader. Now, it's not a literal sea. We're going to find out next week that the sea is referenced or in reference to Gentile nations. Okay? And what we're going to see is this political leader come up out of the Gentile nations. We'll see where out of this ten-nation confederation right now it's the European Union. And we're going to see what he's going to do. Don't miss next week. Okay? Because I believe the Antichrist is alive as we speak. I believe that you've got an Antichrist in every generation that can fit the bill. Because Satan doesn't know when. He knows what is going to happen to him, but he does not know when. Okay? Any questions, you come up and talk to me.